0: and it, it just reminds me you know I've done these deep deep works for a long time and trudging through the mud is super cool and walking through the valley of the shadow of death is really cool but it's really nice to do it with also a smile on your face and letting that be our protection you know that's actually the strongest protection that I've come to know Is that that soul letting that light shine from within and just lighting the darkness? You know what I mean? Walking through the darkness, not looking for the light, just remembering that you are the light walking through the darkness. You know what I mean? And like what keeps your ass illuminated as hell is joyful happiness and like the lightness of your heart.
1: Hey, loved ones, welcome to Naked Conversations, a space for you and I to meditate, strategize, and dream of the tools needed to transform into radical selves. I'm your host, Martisa Williams, free being, radical wayshore, and liberation doula. My purpose is to support the collective on our journey to deeper joy, sweeter justice, and fulfilling presence. So are you ready to step into your most liberated life yet? Let's get to it. Over the past year, it has become abundantly clear that our world and our communities are in desperate need of some healing. Between the state-sanctioned murders of dozens of Black and Brown folks, to climate catastrophe, to the war on folks with uteruses, and all manner of international nightmares, the way we've always done things is killing us. And in the wake of all of this, many of us have felt hopeless and confused. We sign petitions and donate money and post on Instagram, but that honestly just doesn't feel like enough. For years, I have held the belief that transformed people transform the world. The work of freedom and liberation must be done both from the political side and from the shifting of the individual's heart. And for many years, I've been playing with methods of doing this for myself, working on how to unlearn the oppression that I grew up in, how to stop perpetuating that oppression in the world around me. And out of that inquiry and experimentation came The Toolbox. So The Toolbox is an annual membership packed with the tools I've used to make anti-oppression a daily practice. With the 12-month membership, you get unlimited access to all of my Embodied Liberation workshops, presence practices, group coaching, and more. This is a huge, huge part of my life's work, and I am so excited to share with you. For more information or to become a member, click the link in the show notes or go to letsgetnaked.com slash thetoolbox. Hello, dear ones. Welcome back to another episode of Naked Conversations. Super excited to share with you our interview with Michaela De La Michael today and let's get right into it. So, Michaela was born into a first generation Italian, Afro Caribbean, and indigenous Mexican family who lived in unceded Tongva territory, now considered Los Angeles. Her education comes from years walking the paths of sacred intimacy work, temple arts, circle keeping, Mexican ceremony, and womb care facilitation, all under the care of teachers and guides. Michaela now practices in occupied San Diego as a mushroom matriarch. She creates much needed education and spaces for unmet populations in the psychedelic renaissance. Her primary focus is holding community-based circles where people can journey through the dark ameta to uncover their ancestor codes, explore and rewrite trauma wounds, and make meaning with mushroom and other earth medicines. In this episode, Michaela and I talk about being raised in domination and punishment culture and how she moved to, through a path towards connection with the living world we also talk about how her and i met and how we walk through the darkness with the spirit of joy in mushroom ceremonies but also in life we talk about her walk with the medicine work and we talk about ancestor work putting God back into the body, becoming an alchemist of death, and both of our hair journeys. So I'm super excited to share with you this episode, and I hope you love it. I will see you on the other side. All right. Hey, Michaela. We had all the tech stuff, y'all, like all the tech stuff. We start. This is the second time we're starting, so we're doing great. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm so a, excited to have you. <laughs> thank you.
0: Yeah. When the mission is this strong tech chick cannot get in the way. So um, I'm grateful for you, for this platform, for our friendship. It's on rare occasion that a person is able to hear my work, you know, through the podcast world and then actually be able to cultivate like a real friendship and cultivate relationships. So I just think it's great that you're here in Southern California and I'm born and raised out here and it's beautiful territory, as you know, and so much good medicine and so much black and brown medicine work being done here. So I'm just, I'm grateful that you're a part of it. And it's really
1: been an honor to be getting to know you.
0: So thank you for having me here on your show today.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. In our first intro, we were talking about how um, Michaela and I have been able to be in person together uh, over the last couple of months, and it's been really, really yummy to just get to know each other. Um, and but but before we get into like how we met and why and all of that, I always ask all of my guests the same question um, to start off, and that's what made you you. Mm.
0: Yeah, what I'm forged in the fires of fierce rebellion. Um, so I'd always, I've, I've been moving through systems of top down, um, like authoritarian, top down domination type of energy. And not to say that my parents didn't do an incredible job with the tools that they were given. Um, I just grew up with parents that felt that power over was the way that you treat kids. And I was also going to school in like a Baptist, Southern Baptist type environment where discipline and top down authority and do as I say, because I'm your elder. And if you don't do this, you're going to descend (laughs) into a hellish place um, and be, you know, burned and and punished. And so this like sense of domination, punishment, you know, it just didn't sit at all with my spirit. I'm more mm. of a cat-like person. We thrive on positive reinforcement and not punishment and um, superiority. And so um, I was forged in the fires of rebellion in that I made it a point really early on that whenever someone tried to dominate or domineer over me that it was my essential nature to push up against that no mm-hmm. matter what and it just made me really strong and made me strong in like my conviction and it also forced me into a lot of isolation because I would not could not and chose not to conform. And so, um, yeah, I'm very nonconformist as much as I can be. And um what made me me was a desire to commune with the divine force that was non-hierarchic. Mm-hmm. And I knew it was somewhere, and where little me found it was in nature and observing nature. So because I really had struggles, communing with and relating to my peers um, because of differences in ideology or whatever it was, or even appearance, because I went to like mostly white schools. Um, I found myself in the company of plants and in the company of animals and in the company of just nature. And she really helped me. And I felt a real kinship with the animate, you know, um, essence of the life within the earth. And I, you know, started to kind of dive in and grapple with ideas around what if nature was like alive? Because in my school, in Christian school, the only thing that are really animate and have soul is man, is our humans. And for me, animals, plants, trees, the soil itself, had animate spirit and so I think in the fourth grade my one year I spent as an elementary school student in public school I wrote a paper about how trees were communicating and you know my teacher kind of had like laughed it off as wow like what a funny idea that's interesting and then you know we find out many many years later that they are in fact communicating and are perhaps not communicating in the same ways that human beings are, but are in fact inextricably tied to one another in a kind of non-human system. And so um, for many of us starborn people, people who feel like they're outside of the loop of things here on earth sometimes, because we've been sent here on assignment, like we come with these knowings And so what made me me was also these know, these knowings that had been downloaded into me really early Mm -hmm. on that I feel my education that I went through was trying to program out and had a really hard time doing so. And when I found the mushroom, all of that, that I felt was true, um, was reaffirmed. And I got to remember a lot of the things. And honestly, some of the things that I kind of was forced to forget too. So it's nice to be in community with folks that are also remembering and becoming more themselves every day. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's where I'm at right now as a 28-year-old person as someone who is, yeah, very much remembering who they are. And that doesn't make me special at all. <laughs> it just makes me capable of what everyone else is capable of doing.
1: It makes you the same type of divine the rest of us are.
0: <laughs> it's like, oh, you ate the mushroom and found out that you were a god. Well, that's great because everyone else is
1: too. <laughs> yeah. Um, you You spoke about the knowing and coming into your knowing, um, as a star seed. And it's so interesting because when, and I was telling you before we started recording that when I became up against your work or when I found your work or became aware of your work, that's the word I'm looking for, what jumped out of the speaker, my headphones, my earbuds, was your knowing. I felt it so deep in my own spirit, that I was like, ooh, this woman understands. Mm-hmm. And so when I heard you, I immediately was like, this is, this is the individual that I'm going to sit mm-hmm. in ceremony with. When I mm-hmm. sit with the mushrooms, I'm going to sit with her. And so as the divine orchestrates, I was able to sit with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how we met. Um, but I'm so, and like that experience, um, was unlike anything I've experienced before where I was able to be so, (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm, I have a hard time articulating mushroom or medicine experiences. I think as many of us do, um, but there's something here that I find, Uh, I was really afraid. That's where I want to start with. I've always been really afraid of. Quote unquote drugs in general. Mm -hmm. Coming Mm -hmm. from a family of that many members struggled with addiction. Mm -hmm. I had a story in my head about what drugs do to people. (laughs) And then finding Aya a year Mm -hmm. prior Mm -hmm. And having Mm -hmm. an experience where I came into Aya just like terrified, just terrified. Mm -hmm. And so my experience with her was really characterized around that fear. And then going through a lot of life shifts, losing someone dear to me who raised me in the process and then coming to the medicine with you, Mm -hmm. what I was struck by was how joyful I was led into the medicine. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if you remember how like we're singing and laughing and that's that's like all the hours before leading up into sitting. Mm-hmm. It's joy. Mm-hmm. And that characterized, even in the like deepest moments of being with it. Like I had mm-hmm. a big cry at one point that I can barely remember. Just remember everybody being around me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There was joy. Mm-hmm. There was deep joy in the release, in the process. And I characterize that so much, or I attribute that so much to your be- to you being so in alignment with your own knowing. And I'm so grateful for that.
0: Mm-hmm. I feel
1: so deeply grateful for that. Mm-hmm. But I'm so interested, where did you learn this? Who were your teachers? Where did mm-hmm. this spirit come from or was nurtured. You know, we know where it's come from, but where did it get nurtured and developed in you?
0: Thank you. Um man, the spirit of joy is so good. I do remember that just that uplifted feeling that we were all very much in that night, especially when singing the song when we're serving out serving out the medicine and mm-hmm. the beonanka yolotzin and like you know, my brother was like drumming on the djembe and it, it just reminds me, you know, I've done these deep, deep works for a long time and trudging through the mud is super cool and walking through the valley of the shadow of death is really cool, but it's really nice to do it with also a smile on your face and letting that be our protection. You know, that's actually the strongest protection that I've come to know. Mm-hmm. is that that soul letting that light shine from within and just lighting the darkness. You know what I mean? Walking through the darkness, not looking for the light, just remembering that you are the light walking through the darkness. Yes. You know what I mean? And like what keeps your ass illuminated as hell is joyful happiness and like the lightness of your heart. And even our comedic ancestors, as they teach us when we go through uh, the book of going forth by day in the halls of Amenta, and we're going through the underworld, that um, it's like the heart that stays within. So when we stay in that place, in that heart, then we are, you know, led in a good way through these really challenging experiences. Sometimes it's like a cosmic giggle, you know, it's all really this big fucking lesson. And it's hilarious how painful it is. And um, thank you for sharing that about your big cry because I remember seeing you and everyone around you and it's really beautiful watching us be there for one another. Um, So I first communed with the mushroom when I was in my very early twenties. So maybe twenty, twenty, or 21. And I um, had tried LSD before um, I was taken up a mountain by a friend of mine who I just met in college and he was from the Bay area. So he's like hella healthy and he uh, was playing like E40 for me. And we oh, were I love that. H- <laughs> he was drinking like Hennessy <laughs> on acid and just talking and I'm like crying and I'm laughing and I'm like kind of a handful for him, but he just really stayed with me while I, you know, had multiple emotions at the same time, which is very, you know, synesthetic, you know, hearing colors, seeing sounds, it's just like also feeling joy and immense sorrow at the same time and like melting the borders of your brain and like really unifying in this kind of ometeo, this duality system where the two parts make a whole kind of thing as opposed to they fight each other as they complete one another. So you know these terms that I'm using now have been because my early exploration into entheogens was predominantly led and guided by white hippies, which were the people that like I was spending time with because they were kind of the closest thing that I could find to like a liberated artistic creative, people mm-hmm. and I yeah, spent some time in that space hanging out in like Santa Monica and Al- you know in LA and Venice Beach and like going to Venice Boardwalk on mushrooms and that was interesting because I found out really early on where mushrooms feel good mm. for me and where mushrooms do not feel good for me and like large crowds in public having to navigate you know, challenging external environments, like it became very obvious. The mushrooms started to communicate to me through my body experience. Oh, I'm feeling very nauseous around this person, or I'm feeling scared or anxious. And that is how the mushrooms kind of taught me somatically, Hey, listen to your body. This doesn't feel comfortable then why go there? It's not you, it's the environment. So it's time to change it up. And it's the same thing that Santa Maria cannabis, you know, kind of how she led me to be with her. She's like, "Now, girl, you're the lonely stoner. Sorry. Like you get to just go hang out in your room (laughs) and do, and do altar work. You're doing altar work. You're talking to your ancestors, you're stretching, you're breathing. You're not like, in the club or like whatever it is. So I l- learned from the medicine directly for the first few years, because the people who were holding for me, they gave me some skills and they kind of poured into me a little bit, but it didn't feel culturally relevant mm. at all. It was mm-hmm. like, yeah, maybe like you know, dark side of the moon is really speaking to you and it's cool. It has value artistically, but it's not really moving like my spirit and my body. And it's like helping me navigate these like interesting feelings. And so the first time I ate the mushroom, I felt inspired to call my mother. And I listened to that and I called my mom. And in a very lucid conversation between the two of us expressed for the first time, the level of gratitude that I have for the person she has been for me and how much she had to take on in order to be there for me in the ways that she was. And so mushrooms and motherhood have actually been there since the beginning. That was Mm -hmm. like, this is not something I want to hide. This is not something that I like want to keep away from my family. It's like something that I like wanted to kind of pull into my family with, because it felt like, wow, for the first time, I actually want to engage with my family. Where before, then I kind of just wanted to write them off entirely and like divorce them. So that was like my first inclination to the place, the space, the reasons, and the whys, and you know what the mushroom is here to work with me. Um, what areas of my life the mushroom wants to work with me in, and, and so you know, after realizing like, Hey, these folks, they're well, they're well, like, uh, intentioned, however, cannot understand my depth here. Mm -hmm. There's only Mm -hmm. so far we can go. Mm -hmm. So I actually found a lot of peace in the community garden that I was a part of. And my college had a community garden. And a lot of the people that worked the land there we're Mexican folks and we're brown people and we're indigenous folks and people doing permaculture and people like really connecting to Pachamamita. And I'm a Mexican person. My father is Afro-Caribbean and by way of the Dominican Republic in Haiti. And then his mother is a detribalized indigenous Mexican woman. And my mother is a full-blooded Italian Strega which who also has a deep relationship to soil and land and and the earth and so coming back to the earth and the soil felt like more spiritual to me than even like taking a bunch of mushrooms and like sitting in my friend's living room listening to like heady as fuck music so mm-hmm. I that was my next teacher was the soil and like the medicine of the garden and the medicine of the people who take care of the garden. And I met a beautiful, a beautiful two-spirited person. I actually started to meet my two-spirited relatives and people who are indigenous and queer and, you know, trans and bending the lines of what it is to be a human being. And Mm -hmm. that was so like obvious to me that the mushroom would teach us to be the full expression of life itself. And that is complex and colorful, performative and alive. And so, you know, being in the garden with these people, I started learning Nahuatl words. I started learning these medicine songs. People were starting to share with me, you know, the codes of my ancestors in Mexico, pre columbian language. And so I actually sat with, this two-spirited person um his their name is Brian and I sat with them and we we ate the sacred mushroom together one night and I felt called to dance and so I got on my feet and I was like stomping and doing like these these kind of dance uh, like improvisational movements and they were like dude do you dance like do you do traditional dance and I'm like no but I'm a trained dancer but I was da- I was tap jazz ballet I did a little African dance and I realized oh my god this mushroom wants to be embodied this mushroom mm. wants to to move in me this mushroom wants to sing this mushroom wants me to dance this mushroom wants me to create it's to be performative and that is so inherent within the Mesoamerican relationship of the sacred mushroom And also in Europe and also in pretty much every part of the globe is the traditional way of sitting with mushroom is honestly in this kind of creative aspect and creating culture, storytelling and dance and like remembering who we are through these like repeated experiences. And so he's speaking in Spanish and he's speaking in Nahuatl and I'm like soaking it all in and I'm like, holy fuck, this is feeling like big yes energy for me like this is like oh my god like the mushroom told me that I was at home when I was alone with her but the kinds of people that I want to be with are these kinds of people on mushrooms and this is what I want to be doing with them not like vegging out in the living room like melting I want to be singing in this language and I want to be dancing to the drum and I want to be like alive under the the light of the stars and the moon and years later here we are doing the same thing because this is what is this, this mushroom wants to live in me in this way, because this is how my DNA remembers the mushroom, the many, many iterations of my lifetime eating the mushroom. It has been in these contexts. And so that was actually the first time I'd ever sat with the mushroom in that particular context. And that is what continued to guide me. And so I found mother ayahuasca a couple of years later. I'd been offered a seat to sit you know a few times and didn't get the call you know how it is like comes yeah. up is just the timing has to be just just right perfect yeah perfect and so i divorced so many people from my life after i met the mushroom and that is a very powerful way that the mushroom works with us is actually the mushroom has a very cleansing uh very cleaning and purifying um action about it sometimes. And in its nature wants to purify. And so it purified my life by mm-hmm. putting me in a headspace and in a body space where I kind of just wanted to be fucking alone all the time. And that was fine because then I could kind of dig in and nurture this deep inner world and really situate myself and build a relationship with the mushroom. I um, sat with grandmother uh, years later and the the grandmother was very hard on me the first night it was you know after the first night I was like I really like mushrooms because she's not so hard on me but (laughs) you know the grandmother the grandmother gave me some really big 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 assignments I mean I was doing sex work at the time giving my body to all kinds of people I I had shame around children you know i couldn't be around kids because i felt like i was too dirty to be around them mm. that i would somehow pollute their essence and aura and energy mm. and so i had a, just a lot of shame in my heart i had so much shame for my sexual trauma I had so much shame for how that sexual trauma had led me to be pimped out by a spiritual guru and like living in that and then also mm. becoming both becoming a spiritual person and cultivating my spirituality and also cultivating and mastering my sacred sexuality, and how they can happen and be within one person. You know mm-hmm. that I am the Madonna and the whore, and I am the sacred one, and I am the the woman with wide open legs flayed, and I'm still sacred. So um, that was hard to reconcile within my spirit, and so ayahuasca actually kind of pushed that big healing forward for me. The circle that I sat in for ayahuasca was like Santo Daime all white women, Grass Valley, you know, there was also missing quite a bit out of that context, but I really felt that the grandmother medicine just worked with me and was like, don't worry about that fucking environment. Like you're good. Just work with me. Just pay attention to what I'm teaching you. It's less about what they're doing. It's about what we're doing together. And so after I sat with Madre, I was like, I just want to sit with someone in a good way. I just want to meet somebody. I'm I started calling in teachers because it became Mm. very important to me at that time. Like I'm seeing how people are holding this and I'm seeing that there's a way and there's, there's gotta be a place for me. So I actually met my Yoni steam teacher and that was surprising because I didn't think she would have such a big role in my entire life, but descending into the body going and listening to the womb and listening to the cells and the blood and living from there, as opposed to from the mind, like we've been taught we need to be doing, completely reconstructed what is sacred for me. And Mm -hmm. so I called in my own esteemed teacher and I've been in her tutelage for seven years. So she's someone I constantly relate with learned from, and she's been my ride or die. She's been my ongoing teacher, Star Lily sister, Nova Birch of Star Lily Onesti Ministries is my teacher of descending consciousness and taught me and integrated me back in with my Kemetic ancestors, my ancestors of the Neturu, my ancestors of ancient Egypt, my ancestors of um, also the maroon women of the Caribbean, um, knowing, you know, the fierce resistance that was held in the Caribbean during the enslavement and that that is my blood and that is my heritage. She's, she's also a Native American woman. And so she carries in her bones, these like understandings of the land and the sacredness of the land that we live on. So she was like the perfect teacher for me. And remembering that I am these people that I am an indigenous woman, that I am a black woman that I am a European woman and that I'm radical and that I have resistance in my bones is been my greatest teachers as well. So after I found Star Lily, Sister Nova, I then sat in a traditional um, Nahuatl, Mashika circle. So we know we're singing in Nahuatl, we're sitting around the fire, we have a sacred drum and we're singing in mostly Spanish, it's translated you know, from Spanish. So sitting in sweat lodge, sitting with hikuri, which is peyote, Um, sitting with the onenanca, which are the sacred mushrooms that are not cultivated. These are grown out of the ground in Mexico and are only picked by children, Los Niños Santos. So sitting with the Los Niños Santos and getting the codes and the memory back from Mexico. um, It has been a long journey. And I find that with these mushroom traditions, it's really important to get close to the source of your ancestral memory, because everyone has one. Everyone has an ancestral memory with the mushroom. And if you're Druidic, if you're from Ireland, you better be going back to those trees. You better be going back to that forest because that landscape looks very different than the landscape that my ancestors knew and are a part of. And mushrooms being ubiquitous upon the face of the earth tells us that every single one of our ancestors had a run in and has a rich cultural knowledge. There's no reason to have to take it all on from another group because it looks fancy or it looks pretty or it looks cool. Because you are, in, in essence, when you run towards a part of yourself, you are running away from another part of yourself. And so harmonizing all the parts, being the colonizer and the colonized, that's a lot to live in in your body. And when you become a bridge keeper for all of those bloodlines, then you can really start to access where your power is. And that has been my greatest teacher, my ancestors and the
1: mushrooms. Hmm. I just need a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so you there was so much there. The big piece for me, there's so many parts of it that I um, that reflected in my own story, my own experience. Um, the big piece is the way that the medicine, both my experience with the mushrooms, my experience with Mama Aya, brought me back to my ancestors, brought me back to my people. Um, feeling them so so deeply in my experience and then bringing them past like when I'm stepping out of ceremonial ceremony doors experiencing through my waking life um it's interesting because I feel like so many people are talking about ancestor work these days um which I think is beautiful beautiful, beautiful. And I think that there's a lot of interest in how do you engage with your ancestors? How do you get back connected? Um, how do you find those codes again?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm interested to know if you have any support or ideas of ways that folks can begin to um, come back into alignment with that. I'm
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the worlds, they overlap. And so when you make space in the third dimension, in this waking life, when you make space for them, they have a place to enter. They have a place to be here. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, we can, you know, make the intention and say, I want to connect with my ancestors. Cool. They're listening. They're like, cool. So like, where am I going to sit? So building physical space for them to exist. I usually tell people when they're like, what's the first step? Well, first step is obviously the desire, Mm -hmm. but walking the bridge is setting up your ancestor altar. That's like pretty foundational and it doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be super elaborate. Mine is really simple, but it means that you are engaging with them regularly and that you are engaging maybe if you don't have physical space, but engaging in their stories. You're telling stories about your great grandfather. You are remembering a quote from your uncle who passed away. Like you are keeping them alive here. And that is an incredible way to like weave the worlds and make the realities emerge. It's like they are literally living here through their teachings, through their Mm -hmm. memories, through Mm -hmm. their stories. And so if you don't have the capacity to like erect and hold and keep and feed and water and light candles for and give food offerings to an ancestor altar, remember that you are the ancestor altar. And so, your stories, your songs, the way you dress, the way the tattoos you have on your body, the way that you express yourself on the physical level is also a way to venerate the ancestors and um, ancestral songs. So learning a prayer in the language that your ancestors would have spoken can be very, very helpful as well they feel your vibe. They feel you. If you don't know the language of your ancestors, that's totally okay. But when you do conscious effort to solidify a bridge between you and them through actionable steps and not just wishing and intention, then their messages start to become clear. And I think what comes second after those things, after you do the call out, after you say, Hey, where are you? I want to know you. It's like, then you start to actually pay attention to how they communicate with you specifically because every person receives the messages in a different and nuanced way. Some people have the gift of sight, they see them. I have cousins that can see them. I have family members that hear them in their in their ears. Have They come to them in dreams. They come to them, for me, it's very in the cuerpo, it's very in the body. So if I ask to be with them, I start to kind of like, they animate me, they animate, they do what they want me to do with my hands. They move my body. I can look through my eyes and I don't see my hands anymore. Mm. I see someone else's hands. So that's years of being like, how do specific ancestors show up for me? I Mm. see my dad and I hear him in my ears, but I feel my great grandmother. So this is like advanced shit, but the first thing is to start to pay attention to how they show up. And the first step is the intention. The second step is taking actionable steps in the third dimension, actionable ways of cultivating third dimensional reality for them to exist in. And then thirdly is to learn how they communicate with you and then communicate with them through those means and to keep those connections really strong.
1: I love that. It's so interesting. Uh, Cause my, my experience like being in relationship to my ancestors, um, I feel the strongest to my sister cousin that just passed.
0: Mm, yeah. I remember you shared about her.
1: I feel her like all the time, specifically like in Mm -hmm. a joyful moment where like I'm like I I get visions, like I'll get a full vision of her, Mm -hmm. of like what she's doing or how she's laughing or how she's responding to the situation. Wow. Right. Mm -hmm. My grandmother is always evoked in my body. some Mm -hmm. Like in in one way or the next, like she'll there's many times where I'll feel her often behind me on my right shoulder. Mm hmm. I feel her hands on me mm-hmm. and then she will, li- <laughs> it's like, and and the women, her daughters, right, can all do this, is where we can evoke her in the way that we speak, in the sayings mm-hmm. that we say, yeah. in the energy that we bring into the room. Mm-hmm. I'll be like, ooh, that's Biati right there. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like real yeah. deep, real yeah. deep yeah that's
0: what's so beautiful is like the ancestor work the magic and the medicine of it is that it's an all day every day yes and it's not separate from you yes that's what's so beautiful is that it's so yes in your blood that you get to just live your ancestors all the time, and it seems so obvious. You're like, oh, I am. I we say it all the time. I am my ancestors. I am my ancestors. Like uh, it's in my blood. And I was like, well, yeah. Well, what does that look like? And it looks like being able to speak like them, and channel them, and channel them through your voice, through your body to feel them, to sense them. So it's like it's so amazing because the blood in us it has crystals inside. It has memory. It has it's water, and it like vibrates at a very particular rate that is governed by our heart. And so it's so incredible that we are not machines, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We are soul, like we are spiritual matter. We are like spirit made into matter, you know? And so if you, everything that we do from the excrement to the to the period blood, to the saliva, to the sex. It's like all matter of spirit. Yes. And okay. this is descending, this is descending consciousness like 101. Like, yes.
1: <laughs> I love that. And we're absolutely getting into that. But one thing I do want to say for the listeners who are listening and are like, these women are hella woo-woo. I don't, I'm like, don't understand. Look into epigenetics. Like this is the science, look into epigenetics, look into genetics in general and understanding how on a quote unquote scientific level, we are our ancestors. We are the um, out picturing of all Mm. of their choices, the ways they live their life, their environments, their spirit, their joy, all of it
0: Mm. on a
1: scientific level if that's the level that you need to read it at, the, the like, the science is also there too, along with the spirit, mm-hmm. right? Like those two things are yeah. not separate, um, mm-hmm. which I find so powerful about the place that we're in right now, where science is literally reflecting all that we know in our bodies mm-hmm. at the same time. Mm-hmm. We are
0: in those days. We we're in, days. in those days. We're in that, we're in that time right now. Yes. And it yes. feels dope to be back. Mm-hmm. You know I mean? It feels mm-hmm. cool that the assignment showed up and that all the right people are like coming up and we're like, oh shit, we're here. We're doing it. This is what we came in to do. Like, look at us. Like it's it's our time. It's yeah. so our fucking time. Yeah. And I just love the ideas that are that are coming up out of this generation because I'm like, fuck. There was no other way like we can't see our way out of it with the same kind of thinking that we've had the same kind of like endless pursuit of extraction and escape and um fucking up your mom's house you know what yeah. i mean and taking advantage as fuck so you know part of indigenizing is coming back to mom it's coming mm-hmm. back to mama earth it's coming back to yeah, matrilineal, non-hierarchic, circle, womb, portals, magic mystery. I mean, it's like, it's Fern gully for real. And um, I don't know if your listeners even know that movie, Fern Belly, but it's about <laughs> fairies. It's about fairies protecting a, a forest that's being deforested and the fight between machine and magic. And sure, this sounds really woo-woo, but um, we're literally just on earth in a giant cosmos of billions of galaxies anything is possible so
1: (laughs) (laughs) thousand percent let's talk about ascending versus descending consciousness so i this was the piece i was telling you in the medicine stories podcast that you were on that you talked about and i was like i have never heard it spoken to like this um And I've always been interested in it because there's so many threads for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I've spent a lot of my life trying to ascend, right? Mm -hmm. From the meditation to the yoga, even though the yoga, I really feel like was my path towards Mm -hmm. descending consciousness, right? Um. And even to the like spiritual lineage that mm-hmm. I have. So I have kind of two going on, which is um, new thought, ageless wisdom, A Course in Miracles, that mm-hmm. world, which is very mm-hmm. alive in the ways that I was raised. And to mm-hmm. this day, as you know, formed a lot of my, my liberation praxis. but then also the like Black Baptist church. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which for me feels like descending consciousness, like the like deep worship, which is the thing that like will forever be like my takeaway from my years in that world is worship and the ways that like music and body and sound and evoke the divine 100%. I experienced in the Baptist church. 100%. Yes. Um, but I spent a lot of time like being like, this is the way though. Like they're over there talking nonsense, like this ascending consciousness, this, like we have to transcend the world. We need to transcend the body. We need to be beyond is the way to go. Mm. But when I got a deeper understanding and got got deep into my knowing about this, about spirit, about the divine, about my purpose on the world, in the world, it was through my body. Yeah. It was through, I feel the divine Mm. here. In this body, in this black queer femme body, that's where I feel spirit. That's mm. where God talks to me. That's where my ancestors talk to me. That's how I know where to move this work that I'm doing in the world. And to me, that feels like almost the meeting place of ascension and descension. Mm. Actually,
0: you know, I even kind of kick myself a little bit about how limiting even these terms can be ascending and descending right it's like we're talking as if the universe operates on like a ladder Mm. and it and it's so far more complex than that and we have to break it down in these kind of simplistic terms so that it becomes like clear and obvious and so you know, for me, if I could make in any way, like an amends to this, like descending consciousness conversation, it's like to go in, Mm. you know, to like walk, walk. It's about depth, not about height. Mm. And so, and so um, you can go deep in either direction, but as long as you're going deep and recognizing the value in, in all of the directions, then there is wisdom and value to glean. And so the way that these structures have been kind of laid out on the new age, because so much of this spiritual system that we are currently living in right now was laid out for us during the like early 20th century, like these new age kinds of concepts and the borrowing from traditional culture and this borrowing and this piecemealing and this just kind of like haphazard hippie revolution Mm -hmm. you know yoga coming to the west like how do we understand spirituality when you know we're just getting the cliff notes version of so many different kinds and i think that's just like the nature of spirituality in the in north america what is called the united states because as an empire it had the opportunity to extract whatever it wanted from all over the fucking place and have had no depth at all. And that's what I see in so much of the youth, so much of what gets marketed in the spiritual shops is like the spiritual artifacts, but not the spiritual depth. And so what we are looking at here is descending into a depth kind of consciousness. So we are also in the throes of a post age of reason, right? And a post age of enlightenment. So even in Europe, there was like a huge move to reduce the body from a spiritual agent, into a machine that could be exploited for labor, and this is sounding very complicated because we're kind of getting a bit like social, you know, sociology and like Marx and like the sl- enslavement
1: of the entire planet for capitalism. Me. We can handle it here at Neca Conversations. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that had to happen. The body had to be reduced to a machine and it was proved quote unquote by science over and over, look, the body's just a machine. Let's just steal a bunch of cadavers and we're just gonna chop it up in a giant amphitheater in front of a bunch of students. And we're gonna prove to them that this is just a machine. And for at least a hundred years in Europe, this, this relatively new conception was birthed that the body is not spirit. The spirit cannot live in the body. Maybe the body is a house for spirit, but there's no spirit in the body. The body and the spirit are like somehow separate. And that when the body dies, the spirit leaves. Not that they all die together, or that they all are part inextricably tied. That the mind and the body and the spirit are compartments of being which is even what we see today, body, mind, spirit, body, mind, spirit. Even when people think like you're a naturopath, let's talk about the body and the mind and the spirit. as if <laughs> They somehow are all not the same thing, but they are not operating and functioning in tandem, parallel and sandwiched and transparently superimposed. And so this age of reason and this m- turning of the, the tides power into science, scientific thought, scientific thoughts of the reality that we live in, reductionist thinking, this thinking that like animals aren't spirit and plants aren't spirit and nothing is spirit. It's all just material in a pointless universe. That's where a lot of scientific mind is seated. That's the basic Doctrine of understanding is that it's all mechanics of a machine universe. We're in a computer. And so, you know, when we try to grapple with, but my, but God communicates to me through my body. How can those two things exist? It's because you have resisted programming that is trying to teach you that you are a machine being that there is a spirit that you were gifted with the experience of being in deep worship and in tuning and in training your body to remember that through body and that through song and that through movement, you can achieve God level, that you can commune with the divine. And I feel that this is so disruptive and so inherently African, and so inherently indigenous.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because when you put God back in the body,
1: mm-hmm. you cannot,
0: you cannot enslave.
1: Mm-hmm. That so
0: part. <laughs> it's, t- it's a tough, it's a tough, it's a tough unravel. But I think at the most basic level that putting God into the body gives sovereignty that's what it means. And descending consciousness means that we are not looking to escape, not the body, not the emotion, not the earth. And lately it's been operation peace out of this planet. And that's colonizer talk, because if you are not connected to this land, you are so easy to be pulled from it. Right. But like removing indigenous people from their homelands here with the Indian Removal Act and the Trail of Tears how fucking hard it was for Andrew Jackson to get indigenous people off this land like they were ready to die to stay and that's how ingrained and entrusted and encrusted we are to this to these territories that we call mm-hmm. home and the mm-hmm. rocks and the soil and the food and the water and so not just in our body because I think colonization would tell us that it's just about me, me, me. Like the mushroom really like makes your feet like the roots of these trees and helps you feel that you are enmeshed with all of the things around you. And beyond descending into the self body, you then begin to descend further into the root system that connects you to land that connects you to ancestors that connects you to the soil beings the mineral intelligence and so descending consciousness actually is like pulling you into the crystal matrix of the earth and that is actually where some indigenous people believe that they actually came from the center of the earth that that was the birthplace of the of their original ancestors and when they were asked to come out then they Came from the center of the earth. And so, you know, I, this descending consciousness is so sinking and it's so present and it's anchoring a lot of truth and it's dense and it's heavy and it's not always easy to navigate. And that's okay. I think the way that these two can function together in harmony is that we learn how to channel both. And I wish your listeners could see my hands because it's very much. They have strengths in Western Tantra and in yoga. We are taught, you know, red, orange, yellow, green blue by the chakra system. And like, we're just kind of in cupped in like seven chakras all the time. And like, you know, there's so many more below and there's so many more above. And they're yeah. like this vibrational system where you can anchor in and work with the energy of each layer, for example, if we're talking about depth and not height, layer and sink things in from the outside and push things out from the inside. And I think that's actually how humans function. It's okay to be in the realm of idea, ascending consciousness, where the sun is and where the stars are and where, you know, ideas are moving rapidly and visions and and expansion are all super Available to us. And this is the sky world, you know? And when we then make the conscious decision to now descend these ideas and now encapsulate what we learn in these great visionary states, like when you're on the mushroom, you can pull that energy down like a seed and let it sit in your body and let it sit in your womb and embody the teaching and integrate it into the fabric of your being and existence of life on earth. Our ancient ancestors took codes from stars and brought them here on earth and let them flourish here. They didn't just say, oh, that's a great thing to have. Let me just always spend my time there and never bring anything back. This is the problem of psychedelic tourism is constantly going into those realms and bringing literally zero fucking back and not making heaven on earth like we're supposed to, like our ancestors taught us that we should do.
1: Yes. Um. Earlier, you were talking about the piecemealing of spirituality, like in that like 60s, 70s age. And I think that there's something that I've been thinking about with that. And even where we're seeing today, where it's like we, the colonizer energy of what, well, let's just take a little bit of here, take a little bit of there, bring it here.
0: Mm.
1: (laughs) I so feel like that's a... like a a younger energy, if that makes sense. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. Where it's like through your spirit, like through your depth of your spiritual practice, do you transform and deepen into the lineage that is yours, right? Mm -hmm. But like, Mm -hmm. there's almost a place you have to start. And what Mm. I feel is that those of us who've been in the, doing some of this work for, you know, for some time, you know, relative, time is relative, but for some time, um, we're kind of like, Oh, interesting. Like they're doing this, like, okay, let's take some chakras here and let's take some this here and let's take some this here and let's put it all together. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I do think that there is a starting point. Doesn't it mean it's right. Doesn't it mean it's just right. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, I do think that there's a starting point that you begin to grow out of that space. I have, I mm-hmm. just, what I'm trying to say is I yes. have compassion. I, I have. I have deep compassion for the growth path, the evolution path, of that yeah. um and it's like spiritual to...
0: it's like spiritual kindergarten right cool, you know what I mean like it, it's cool it's it, it's it's like a gateway chakras are a gateway drug to spirituality yes like, you know? <laughs> it's an entry and I think the word is it's like it's entry point
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: and however you enter you know for some of us it's just gonna kind of like go over the head or it's just going to be some seeds sprinkled you know what I mean but this spiritual practice that you and I share and that the listeners share and that people have been kind of walking this road in it's like how many hours have you spent tenting your garden have you only been gardening because people are watching are you gardening because you are here to help things grow within yourself And for some of us, our mental health is so inextricably tied to the health of our gardens and our internal gardens that Mm -hmm. it's not for show, it's a must. And I think it's a must for colonized people because that was the very thing that was taken away in order to make us subservient. It's what gives us power. It's the thing that the colonizer identified that was like, this is what's giving people power. And if we remove them from this, then we can take them. And so coming back to that, it's it's an essential. And you can tell when people, they don't have that drive. It's mm-hmm. not a life or death situation,
1: mm-hmm. It's for sh-
0: it's for play. For shits and, and giggles. That's telling me what their ancestors were like and the way that they looked at our spirituality like it was for a fucking game. And it's not, it's for real. And so I think the way people treat our traditions and treat the way that we hold ceremony, I've seen lots of white folks go in traditional ceremony and think that they know what's up and they've done their fucking cacao ceremonies before, they do their dream catchers and then they're brought to real medicine people and they just fucking crumble and they buckle and they break because they're in the presence of what it really is to be around powerful, liberated people. And it scares the shit out of them. And I've seen it happen a few times. And it's a very humbling experience. And I, I want to be compassionate, not say, hey, now bend the knee. You know what I mean? Because that's just what they did to us. But I think it's really beautiful that there is space for humility and to be like, fuck. I because think that's it's the time medicine. For,
1: yeah, humility is the medicine. It's the medicine, like that process, like the birth, the death cycle of it is the medicine. Like the colonizer is going to have to die. And that doesn't mean the spirit dies, right? Because the spirit is not the same as the colonizer. And I think, I think that there's just something beautiful, but I think that we're so afraid of death in our society. Mm -hmm. We don't have like, we don't have any way of handling it. And it has become so like clear and embodied in me experiencing death this Mm. year, particularly, Mm. but over the last Mm -hmm. few years of my life, experiencing the death of the people I most love, right? Yeah. Yeah. Where I'm like, we have no toolkit for how we walk through this. And we're so terrified. I experience it in myself, right? Like even moments where I will relive the experience of the loss, relive mm-hmm. the, the story the day, right? There's terror mm-hmm. that comes up into my body. Mm-hmm. But being not stopped by the fear, mm-hmm. moving the past, the fear. That's why I kept coming to medicine because I was scared of mm-hmm. shit. Me and Aya, we fought all night the first day, like mm-hmm. all night. And like, but I came back.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think that that's the liberation walk. Mm. That's the come; it's the coming back and the mm. colonizer. And I think that all of us will have to continue to work to allow the colonizer to die. Mm. But we're going to have to continue to learn how to deal and work and be an alchemist of death mm-hmm. in order to be in that.
0: Mm. man you're so much medicine I (laughs) death was my entry point for sure my dad died Mm -hmm. and I was like how am I going to maintain a relationship because there's no there's no he's gone for me and there was no guidebook there was no You know, a lot of us are walking in the dark about how to cope with, grapple with death. And it's pretty amazing that our children are going to have so much more Mm -hmm. and so much more understanding that we have been given and so much more to learn from and elders to learn from. And that... That is the forgetting, honestly, and the colonization system to remove us from our own knowings has left a lot of us feeling like we don't know how to navigate these things that the ones before did Mm -hmm. and had reverence for. And if anyone is an amazing teacher of death, it's the sacred mushroom. I mean, they are the cleaner, the purifier, the alchemists of the forest. And they transform matter and spirit. And when you learn what the other side is like by venturing into the entheogenic realms, the death realms, working with dimethyltryptamine and working with high levels of psilocybin and you see what's there, it's a lot it's a lot less scary. And I think, as you said, with every journey, there's kind of a death experience, a death of something, a part of self, the letting, you know, the parts of yourself weather and die and to celebrate that, you know, mm-hmm. to celebrate that, I think. And I know that in this hyper industrial framework, the death of something, the ending of something means like a potential. You know, lack, you know, we're always in this like anxious state of lack. There's not going to be enough for everyone. Well, if you just redistributed everything, <laughs> plenty. When, you know, there is no lack for the mushroom. And so when something dies in mushroom consciousness and in descending consciousness, there is more space, more room for more life. Mm -hmm. And not only are we afraid of death, but we're afraid of and don't value things like zero and void and emptiness. We just want to fill up space all the time. We want to inject ourselves into everything because we're living in this very like erectile type of energy all the time. It's like going, going, going and the void, zero, you know? Mm -hmm is the most important integer. It is what gives everything value. Where you place that zero can change a whole heck of a lot. And how many zeros you have changes a tremendous amount. So space holding, place holding, circles, they're coming back in a big way. And we're bringing back the medicine of circle, of zero, of death, of gap, of void, of of space and um these are all very I guess ethereal concepts in a way but I hope that your listeners a seed is planted in them that there is value in the void just being the void not what can I fill and put in here but having space the space between your breaths the space between your bones, you know, and not being afraid of lack and death allowing for space. And so um, I pray for us to return to these sacred circles and return to these old ways of understanding worship in the body, descending into the void, descending into the soil, and recognizing that there's value in every corner. And these mushrooms are a powerful gateway and death is a powerful gateway. And I recently had a death of my hair and I just feel like this rebirth process um, has really showed me the crutches that I've been trying to have you know? And you asked earlier, like, what makes me me? And almost for a second, it's like, oh, like my dreadlock journey, (laughs) you know, was making me very much me. But who are you without those things? And like I said, the mushroom teaching us that stripping things away is so helpful to understanding what's actually here. And so cutting off my hair and cutting off and killing parts of me and Killing off the colonizer and the colonized within myself, you know, um, has been the ultimate lesson because it's like when there is nothing, what is left? And I'm actually on a journey of kind of just listening and rediscovering what is left in me. And I know you've also been on a hair journey a much longer hair journey than myself and i feel like for these gifts in our lives that we have hair and the medicine and the spirit within our locks and in our hair that we've locked in is such an incredible exchange for the life that we've been given and i so look forward to offering my hair to the land that i live on you know taking a lock and coiling it into a spiral and digging a hole and just leaving it in there for whoever wants it and letting the earth just swallow me back up. And I honestly look forward to being decomposed Mm -hmm. and am practicing letting myself be decomposed with these little tiny practices, like letting my blood go back, letting my hair go back and learning what it's like to see me in earth being swallowed up again and um that is a really powerful exchange and it's just the earth coming back to itself anyway so um yeah
1: i love that you brought up your hair in this we were talking about hair before um and i shared with you that i had locks for 20 years (laughs) I mean, you know, if you think about it, I got it at five, I got them at five. And the story my mom tells, because I don't, I barely remember I remember sitting in the chair for three days, getting my hair locked. Um, but the story my mom tells is that, I also remember this part. I'm, <laughs> I'm not giving myself enough credit. Um, we would sit, I would sit in her lap and she would comb my hair every morning before school. And I, my mom is hella heavy-handed and we would, <laughs> we would fight. We would just fight five-year-old me and younger me who's still the same person who is outspoken and feisty and all the things and not anywhere afraid to share what the fuck I have to say. Um, we fight every day. And my mom had locks, my grandmother had locks. My aunt had locks. These are three out of the four women that raised me. And my mom one day was like, well, you want to get some locks? And I was like, yeah. Like, I'm tired of doing this with you every day, right? And so this journey, the three-day journey of putting in my sister locks began. And these are like sister locks before they got really tiny and all that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. They've changed since yeah. but this was you know in the 90s um and uh <laughs> like I had my locks until I turned 25 mm. and so it was so interesting because there was a moment I, I got I cut them right before my 25th birthday and there was a moment where I was like um I don't know a me without these this right style. right I don't know a version of me without this. And I think a part of my spirit knew I was moving into a new cycle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I just was like, it's time. Like there was Mm -hmm. a knowing in me Mm -hmm. that was clear that it was time. And so I got them cut and I thought I would cry. I thought I would sit and I would cry and be mortified at my decision. That's what I was preparing myself for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had none of that. Mm-hmm. It was just joy. It was just joy. Mm-hmm. And so it's been so interesting because some, I think I will look back years for years from now and be like, oh, this was the transition, the beginning of transition from maiden into mother. Mm-hmm. Like it was the like seed starting of like, it's time to let that go. And people always ask, like, did you keep your locks? Did you keep them? And I had no desire to keep them.
0: Yeah.
1: I was like, it's, it's yeah. done. Yeah. There was completion for me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just love to know what led you to this, this decision and what led mm-hmm. you to getting locks in the first place. Cause you got them when you were in your early twenties.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it all happened honestly around the same time as the entheogenic journey and like the journey of descension into my body, into my womb, learning womb ways, um, sitting with the mushroom and indigenizing myself. I mean, dreadlocks are also pretty ubiquitous. Um, They are seen in Celtic Ireland, they're seen in Europe, they're seen in Africa, they're seen in the Caribbean, and in Mexico and in North American, Native American tradition. So this, is, and in Polynesia too. So it's, it's, a, it's an initiation for a lot of us that we feel called to do. And it has a lot of meaning and being in an interracial family, there's so much fighting. There's so much mm-hmm. infighting within myself, within Am I enough of this to embrace? Am I educated enough in who I am? And I felt like I really lacked education in parts of my being and parts of who I am culturally and ancestrally. And my mom, you know, our mothers have a really important Role to play within our perception of beauty, our perception of what's valuable, our perception of rightness, femininity, um, all these isms and all these ways of loving—they teach us how to love ourself, our body, what we look like, who we love, how we love—and so my mom, she hired caretakers for me and my sister because gratefully, I grew up with some money sometimes and then like no money a lot. It was like very like a roller coaster for my family. And there was a lot of insecurity around money. But when we had money, it was cool. So my mom needed help. And so we had some domestic help now and again. And it was really freaky to me because, you know I'm being raised by Mexican women. I'm being raised by black women. But then like, my mom is like, you're not any of those things. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? You know, like Italians low key can be extremely racist and her family is racist as fuck. And so, you know, she would say things that were really unconscious and like hurtful to black and brown people. And I'm just sitting here like, I mean, but that's who I am. Well, it's fine. Cause I married your father and I'm just like, but that doesn't give you any license or agency to speak down on people that I identify with. And so it was that fighting was about also my hair and what I wanted to do with it and how I want to express it. And so I was being cared for by a woman who was from Jamaica and she had locks and I was like, damn, those are fire dude. Like those, you look amazing. And she was such a joyful and loving person. And it was so amazing to spend time with her because I didn't have a lot of black women raising me like zero, maybe my auntie, my dad's sister, but my mom and her hated each other. So I didn't spend a lot of time with her. So I had mixed hair with a white mom and it was traumatizing as fuck. She didn't Mm. know how to take care of my hair. And so, and then I grew up not knowing how to take care of my hair. So I hated my hair. I strained it, I did all kinds of shit to it to like make me look like my white cousins. Like I look at pictures of my cousins that I was trying to emulate. And I'm like, how the fuck did I even think this was going to be possible? Because we are just so, from the bone structure, different. But I didn't know that I could love the brown me. Like I thought straightening my hair and like trying to do my makeup looking like a porn star and like wearing tea party stretch pants and like converse was like somehow going to make me feel more mean and so when I finally hit my psychedelia and recognized that makeup just needed to come all the way the fuck off because I was crying my mascara off every time I ate the mushrooms and the mushrooms were way more important to me than wearing mascara like I got stripped the mushrooms stripped me um the mushrooms stripped me down and so I was like, who do I want to be now? And I was like, I want to be, I wanna be dangerously fucking ethnic as fuck, almost to spite my mother. So I got face piercings, I got my septum pierced, I started gauging my ears, I started doing all kinds of shit that I thought made me ethnic, that I thought made me colorful and and abrasive and edgy. And I had embodied punk an edge as a 13 year old but it was like hot topic punk (laughs) it was not like radical like my ancestor punk so then I went like ancestral goth and ancestral punk like after I started eating a mushroom and that felt really fucking good and I went to my mom's house with dreadlocks in my hair and she's like what did you just do to your hair And it was this like, oh my God, what is in your nose? And she's like tugging at my septum ring and she's like clowning me and is really like talking down to me about how I'm expressing my spirit and Mm -hmm. indigenizing the way that I fucking look. And I stopped like shaving everything and was like, I'm gonna let my mustache grow. I don't give a fuck. And (laughs) you know, it was good for me. It was good for me to rewild myself. So I kind of did it out of rebellion and I'm so glad that I did. And at the same time, like I said before, I was running towards certain parts of myself and at the same time running away from others. And I was running towards my blackness and my indigeneity. And I was running towards like these long lost ancestors that I like were calling out to them. And I was like, let me express in a way that makes a code in a spirit world where you can recognize me because I look like us you know all kind of ways to reach out to that side of my blood and to remember who the fuck I am and that was so much of my reasoning was like I really just need to touch in and I'm glad because then my hair could be cared for by black people and I had hair and I was relating to folks with dreadlocks and I was relating to folks with a deeper, more loving understanding of what dreadlocks were and not what my mom thought they were, which was a place for people to hide evil spirits, is literally like what she said. Mm. So I, it was an indigenizing process, which I'm really glad that I was able to see through and also recognize that indigeneity doesn't always live in like your outward expression, but it can, and I'm learning how to embody it in other ways. And I feel like I can still very much be a black and indigenous and a radically European person as just a raw bare soul, which is curly as fuck here. And I get to tend to the garden that is on the top of my head now. And just like you were saying, like I'm sick of fighting with you, mom. Like just put the locks inside out to deal with this shit. It's like, now I actually get to turn to the sides of myself which is this curly ass frizzy hair on my head. And be like, how do you want to be treated? Because I want to see you, and I want to take care of you. So I'm, I'm really grateful that this dreadlock journey has taught me so much, and has taught me a lot about energy and power, and also that it's okay to not hide from. It's not. It's okay not to hide behind a tough exterior. Mm-hmm. It's okay. It's okay to be soft. It's okay to be tough. Mm-hmm. You know. It's I don't have to scare people away to get respect and to protect myself. I can learn how to do that in other ways. So, um, yeah, just honor and blessings to my mom, because after my fifth year of dreadlocks, she was pretty on in the medicine and finally looked at me for the first time. I was like, Michaela, your hair is really beautiful. I'm sorry for the things that I've said about it, but I think you are growing up to be an incredible, an incredible woman. And it took a long time for her to accept me. And it feels good that we finally got to that point and that the mushrooms continue to hold my mom and me together in a good way.
1: Mm. Yeah. That that one got me. Um I think there's something so powerful about reconciliation and the ability for mother and child to, um, to come back to one another. And I'm so grateful that you had that. And I have very similar moments with my mother Mm -hmm. where we were able to like, there was able to be uh, amends, like real deep Honor and amends and respect. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately, that seems to be rare. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And is such a blessing.
0: We need it in our world so much reconciliation. Yeah. Yeah. And it takes, and I'm sorry, I love you, a please forgive me, and a thank you. You know what I mean? And we could do that if we can learn to practice to do that for each other in these really important ways we could do yeah. so in a very global context and i'm praying into that we can reconcile among ourselves as a human family and also as family here on earth because that's what's going to be necessary for us to to bring this to bring this world that we're seeing together so thank you for being a part of the reconciliation and liberation process. And I feel very much kinship with you in our journeys. And it's really been an honor to be able to speak with you and to be able to leave an imprint, a good one, um, for people to to glean from uh, wisdom that you share. And this is a very sacred mission, getting raw, getting naked, getting bare before each Mm -hmm. other. And I don't think we actually can, I don't think we can have reconciliation without getting naked and getting bare and being vulnerable. So thank you for allowing me to be vulnerable with you.
1: Oh yeah. It's my pleasure. My Mm -hmm. absolute pleasure. Before we hop off, I have one last question. Um, It's again, another, I get to ask all the folks (laughs) that have been on the mic with me. And that's what is lighting you up right now
0: mm. 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 i'm I'm really lit I'm really lit over this uh, unified front that we're all a part of right now mm. i'm really I'm really lit about that. I'm really lit about sharing ideas with people and having them be like, "Oh my gosh, it's such a good idea. Let's see how we can create that or let's like do it." I wanna see what you're seeing. I wanna dream up with you. I'm loving collaboration right now. I'm absolutely just like in love. And I'm so lit by like the humility of the mushroom people. Like I am so lit by that. Cause like, I love when people don't hoard knowledge. Mm -hmm. I love that we're unified in that, that we are sharing, we're sharing people and we are here to welcome and accept people. In. and um I'm really I'm really lit up by the nine gram journey that I took around my birthday and the things that I saw and the assignments that I have, and it all has to do with moving with this liberated front towards the world that we are seeing together and being part of that. So I'm extremely lit at the assignment that I have. And I'm extremely
1: lit that you're here. Mm, I'm extremely lit that you're here too. (laughs) Um, Tell everyone where they can find you and support your work and love on you.
0: Oh my gosh, thank you. Um, So you can hit me up at um, at Mama de la Mico on Instagram. Um, I do spend a good amount of time on there, creating, posting, sharing education, doing a lot of, yeah, promotion around the things, the ways that you can plug in deeper with me um we have some cool offerings coming up in the future more long form classes that are coming which is very exciting um so i hope that you're able to plug up plug in with me on ig i'll be posting about that soon i also have a lot of great like landing pages for education so my cacao mushroom paste making class is available just exchange your um, email address, I also have my entheogenic earth medicine assisted motherhood ebook that I painstakingly wrote with women on psychedelics or WHOOP. Um, and that's a 57 page document of all the science that I've been able to find and the history and the cultural knowledge that situates mothers breastfeeding postpartum and while just dating um, with the sacred mushroom and other entheogens. So that's one of my most important offerings that I have right now. And you can exchange that for an email too. I, um, I have a website it's called mysticjasper.com and in there, I have tons of blogs. I have a lot of written material and I will soon be compiling all of the podcasts I've ever done into one place. Cause they're all kind of everywhere. And so I'm going to like pull the threads of the universe all together onto a single page and just ask for like support via subscription, like $11 a month, just to like allow me to keep talking on podcasts and like sharing my education this way. Cause it sounds like people really enjoy podcasts. And so for like $11 a month, you'll just have all my podcasts and all the newest ones will be like at the top and I'll just keep it going and keep doing podcasts and teachings like this because I just think it's, I think podcasts are just a great way to get education Absolutely. out and, and they get to support people like you who have such an important mission, which is to catalog the thought leaders of this time and that is timeless. And so um, those are some ways that you can plug in and support my work and keep a roof over my head. So thank you so much um, for allowing me to yeah, share with what I am doing. And um, I just look forward to what this brings to us both. So thank you, Martisa, for having me. And it really has been an honor being naked with you. Mm, thank you, my love.
1: Hmm. What did you think, dear ones? I love, love, love being able to talk to the amazing guests that I get to have on this podcast. And I love being able to share with you. So please, if you are not already follow us on Instagram at let's get naked and keep the conversation going. We'd love to know what your thoughts, your feelings, your responses are to this podcast. So please keep this conversation going Please share the conversation so that we can get into more ears and spread the gospel of liberation further and deeper. And then also just subscribe to this podcast so that you can, one, support us and keep doing this work and getting us again to more ears. And then also so that you'll always know when our episodes come out. And with that, I will leave you until Next time, my love, have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your week. Much love to you.